Hello, welcome to Louder Than Words, ideas that improve lives. I'm Jules Pretty. A warm welcome to Katerina Chinell and Luca Chitti from the School of Computer Science and Electronic Engineering at the University of Essex. We're talking today about neural engineering, machines, bodies and brains, and this intersection of neuroscience, psychology and machine learning. A warm welcome to Katerina and Luca um, from the Brain Computing Interface and Neural Engineering Lab that was set up by Ricardo Poli um, in the school some years ago. So I'd like to just start by asking you both to tell us a bit about the work that you've been doing in research, the work of the lab, and how we go about understanding and repairing and enhancing neural systems, where, where the kind of cutting edge that you're both involved with um, is at the moment. So, uh, Katerina, over to you. Uh, hi. Um, well, my um, um, area of research is uh, in uh, cognitive uh, neurosciences. And um, in the last uh, decade, probably or more, uh, I've mainly been um, researching brain-computer interfaces. So brain-computer interfaces involves um, using brain signals um, to, well, that's the, the traditional uh, application of brain-computer interfaces. So using uh, neural signals to uh, control external uh, devices or to give commands without using uh, any muscles. Um, in, in, in our lab, in the BCI and eLab at Essex, uh, one of the um, main um, research um, um, areas within brain-computer interfaces is actually using this uh, concept to uh, uh, augment cognition. Uh, so, uh, for example, um, the majority of research I'm currently doing is about uh, improving decision-making in groups. So we take neural signals for many people uh, um, and then we use these signals to try to predict uh, how good uh, a decision is. Great, good, thanks. So Luca, uh, build on that a bit, little bit and tell us about your work. So my, my main area of research is on the um, theory and application of uh, signal processing and machine learning to uh, understanding um, and interacting with uh, neural si systems. Uh, that could be at the level of the of the brain through uh, brain computer interfaces, but also uh, at the peripheral level, uh, for example, using peripheral nerve or muscle interfaces for the control of um, prosthetic uh, limbs. Um, it's a fascinating area of research. And um, what, what I like about it is the fact and, and the, the reason why I'm, I'm excited I mean, to do it and to talk about it is the fact that uh, it uh, brings together, um, let's say, the, the, the technical aspect, the mathematical aspect, together with um, understanding of the brain, which is always fascinating. Well, that's very interesting. And um, as you say, kind of exciting, but also potentially and maybe inevitably controversial in certain kinds of ways. As, as you mentioned, Katerina, about kind of augmentation, that's making something better than it would otherwise have been which in certain contexts we can imagine is absolutely a good thing and in other areas slightly more complex so could you just let take us into the life of of um uh, some of the work that you're doing like for example the group work that you were describing um some, some of the kind of mechanics of the work and then we can explore these kind of goods and 
not exactly bad, but just controversials as well alongside that? Um, okay, so yes, so what we do in the lab is actually uh, we um, have people uh, coming into the lab, we measure their uh, brain signals with uh, electroencephalogram, so we use external electrodes to uh, to um, record um, the, the um, electrical activity. So pa paint a picture of that, people are wearing a cap on top they of their head. They wear a cap, yes, they wear a cap, and uh, this cap has uh, small electrodes uh, into it, so small holes where you, you put uh, electrodes, there is a, um, um, and then the, the, the participants coming to our experiments, they are given a task. So in, in, like, for example, making decisions, very simple decisions in our case can be like, uh, you have to decide within a, 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 a pictures presented, you have to decide whether a target was presented or not, or what type of target was presented, but also more complex decisions. Like, for example, at the moment, we are doing experiments where people have to make decisions in a pandemic scenario, okay? So they have to decide you know, uh, how to contain uh, the spread of uh, uh, the disease and 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 so on, and so we measure uh, the uh, neural signals while these people are making the decisions, and then uh, um, with uh, our, so through the um, complex algorithms we can uh, um, sort of see how confident people are in the decision, and so also in a way to predict how uh, likely is that the decision is correct or incorrect. And then uh, we can do this uh, with, um, by combining uh, this uh, activity from uh, several people. Okay, so we we simulate group decision. Um, this is done offline, so we don't have people doing the experiments together. They do these experiments separately, but then we combine all these decisions they make uh, in a sort of group decision. And so in this way, we are able to uh, improve decision-making. Uh, and, so, uh, and so we are, in fact, augmenting uh, cognition, uh, which is so, important. So by, so by improve, do you mean um, more people thinking the same thing or that we just understand how a range of people come to a particular decision, which um, might be different? No, a more accurate decision. So uh, the ability to assess a situation at that moment uh, will be, with, uh, improve accuracy. So uh, like um, in this um, simpler case, as I said earlier, is uh, uh, was a target there or not? Or was that um, uh, a friend or an enemy? And, and so um, we can improve this decision using the neural signals. Um, and one of the advantages of doing this is that there are situations in which uh, decision, um, well, there is limited information. So having a group, this, is, uh, this works even normally, having a group uh, improve the decision. Uh, but also uh, sometimes group uh, there is communication there is there are biases um, so they they there can be problems in a group and so by um, bypassing if you like commun direct communication with the uh, group members and so using the neural signals and other behavioral signals then we can uh, uh, um, take the good for the group and uh, uh, remove what. Has, you know, can have negative uh, consequences. Very interesting. So it's almost as if you're creating a larger brain than the individual brains that, that yes, we have. Yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's very interesting. So, Luca, take us into the, the you mentioned about, um, Katarina just talked about, about uh, accuracy. 
But then you also talked about, um, you know, how to create prosthetics and a peripheral edge, so not at the brain, but elsewhere on the body. Um, take us into the kind of the picture for that, because that's a direct application of, of what you want, presumably very high accuracy, don't you, in order to help people to do something that they couldn't otherwise have done. Absolutely. Um, so actually one, I mean, yeah, I mean, obviously we'd like to build systems that are as accurate as possible um, because accuracy means allow, and well, we have to find the trade-off between accuracy and uh, responsiveness, latency, especially when using a prosthetic arm. So you, you want the person to be able to um, uh, control the arm in real time, but at the same time, uh, accurately enough that it can be um, that, for example, if they're picking up an object, they're not, they're not crushing it or letting it uh, fall. Um, now, something fascinating is that um, the brain also is part of the learning. So it's not just the artificial device that is trying to, um, in a sense, understand the language of the brain. So how the brain would communicate with with the with the um, physical arm, with the sorry, not physical, with, with the natural arm and uh, um, wide tap, in a sense, that signal, interpret it and control the prosthetic device. But it's also the brain that is learning to um, what is the best way to control that device. So the, in a sense, the, the two systems, rather than one of them, let's say the, nat the brain or the machine, uh, learning the other language, they are sort of uh, meeting in the, in the middle uh, to speak a common language. And that is really fascinating. Uh, and it's, I mean, thanks obviously to, to the uh, plasticity of the brain, which is, uh, which is always fascinating. Um, so we have, this, we have this term um, that you would use this term neuroplasticity or plasticity of the brain. But just un unpack that for the listener. By that, you mean the brain is not a fixed thing. It changes over time. It, it, it's not a fixed thing. It changes over time. Um, for example, um, to give you an idea, you can stimulate uh, a nerve uh, in a way that tries to be to feel as natural as possible. However, uh, it still feels different than uh, so. If the robotic arm is touching something and it's sending uh, a signal back to the to, through the nerve by stimulating the nerve, that signal signal will never feel to the person exactly like a natural sensation. However, over time the brain learns to, to interpret that new signal uh, in, in a way that it feels more natural over time, in a sense. Fascinating. That's really interesting. So we, we adapt to that, don't we? I mean, it's, and the same thing works in the other direction, uh, in the sense of controlling rather than perception. Uh, but if you think about it, um, whenever we use a tool, um, for example, um, a, a tool to do something, Initially, we think of how we interact with the handles of the tool um, in order to achieve something. But over time, you forget about pedals. Okay, for example, if you're driving a car, you forget about the steering wheel, you forget about the pedals. You think in terms of, I want to steer there. Okay, so basically, it's like the, the car is part of your, of your body now because you're thinking as a system human car and you try to steer you're not saying i want the car to steer therefore i want I, I need to move the steering wheel you directly think in terms of where you want to go with the car mm. i don't know if, if that makes sense it does absolutely make sense and so so there's a period of um when when as you say when you uh, you're 
talking prosthetics you're talking are you talking arms here kind of um, mostly, in that sense mostly, mostly. arms yeah. yeah that's my my um the the, the yeah the, the the type of limbs i'm mostly working with and yeah. so so again let's just kind of paint the picture for for our listeners somebody can then think they can use their brain directly to amend and move the 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 robotic prosthetic arm whatever what, what's the right yeah. terminal terminology would you use robotic or would you use prosthetic um either way it, yeah. it doesn't matter yeah, yeah. okay um, and then you learn and then you get better at doing that over time the 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 brain evolves or doesn't evolve it changes um adapts yeah. uh, and be and the whole thing feels kind of normal as it was before more, more normal now there's still a long way to go right we we um, especially in terms of degrees of freedom. So the degrees of freedom is the um, how many independent uh, commands can you send? Okay, so in a sense, uh, a natural hand has roughly 20-something degrees of freedom. So in a sense that you can move uh, an individual finger and you do, uh, to some extent some phalanges of each finger and so on. And you can move the finger, you know, uh, flex extend or uh, abduction and so on. Um, now, in theory, our brain can send that, that, that number of individual commands. Now, with the peripheral nerves, um, and even more so with, with central interfaces, we, we cannot control that same amount of degrees of freedom. So, in a sense, what we do is we um, exploit the fact that uh, we have muscle synergies. That means that whenever we use something, very rarely um, we use those 20-something degrees of freedom uh, completely independently. So very often, uh, for example, some um, movements um, have some 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 common patterns. So, for example, we um, if we do um, a pinch grasp, we move index and thumb. If we do a cylindrical, we move all the other fingers together. So in the end, the number of the effective degrees of freedom is less than that. Very interesting. Um, so, in, so our target is not to reproduce exactly uh, the level of dexterity of, of the natural hand, but to restore as much as possible the usability, the effective, um, um, how effective the hand is to perform daily tasks. Very interesting. Okay, so, and Great. we are making strides in that direction. Yeah. So, in in you're starting, Luca, from a context where something um, has happened to somebody. They've either lost or didn't have, um, let's say, an arm, and you're working yeah. on ways to create this interface to allow that the new thing to become functional. Um, so, right. so we're going from a position of of loss to gain. But if I were to apply that, Katerina, in your context, when you're talking about um, uh cognitive augmentation or improvement um is a, just just paint the picture for us in terms of is that going from a position of of kind of loss in other words you're trying to recreate health or is it about taking a position that where we are now and trying to augment things in above the line as it were 
just explore that because because I can see kind of health relevance, but also very much more. Yes, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So, at, uh, well, brain computer interfaces, so BCI uh, traditionally has been used to uh, um, uh, to help people who have like uh, lost uh, control of their muscles, they are locked in, or like in in Lucas uh, areas of research uh, for uh, um, people who don't have uh, an arm, a hand, or whatever. But uh, for uh, uh, so we we uh, that, that what we we decided at some point we realized that we could do was to uh, use uh, similar concepts to uh, actually uh, augment uh, cognition in people who are like normal if you like so they don't don't have any uh, um, any limitations. Um, of that kind so um and so and that's how we started really thinking well why 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 should we only limit the use of bci uh for uh, people who have lost muscles uh, uh muscle control and um and so the idea came exactly uh, of using this for um, um uh, decision making but this can be used and is used uh, in many other ways. For example, uh, there is an area that we call a passive uh, BCI, which is simply monitoring uh, someone's mental state uh, to see, for example, if they are too tired to be to stay engaged in a particular task. Uh, um, think, for example, about uh, jobs where people have to track things like, I don't know, uh, 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 air traffic controllers or, you know, this type of job where a mistake can be quite, uh, can have quite disaster consequences and so uh, there are uh, systems that are being that are being developed uh, for monitoring the ability to respond to you know sudden changes in the environment or to simply monitoring uh, the, uh, the environment like which is like when something really mm, nothing really exciting happens so your attention has to stay always at a high level but you know uh, there is nothing to keep you at that level um, and so, um, and so that's how BCI can be used uh, uh, to um, to uh, augment uh, uh, cognitive our cognitive abilities. So, are there in in this then um, that, that? And I'd be quite interested in both of you just kind of exploring a little bit further the kinds of applications because it you know there are as you say very interesting observations about people in the workplace as you've described um, maintaining kind of concentration levels uh, but then also people who are in locked in syndrome people who who would apparently previously not been assumed to have kind of capabilities which you would then find out so I'd be interested in exploring that a bit but let's let's just dwell for a moment on on some of the kind of ethical or controversial aspects because um you know, they could be dancing in the streets, as it were, about the, these amazing developments, but equally kind of muttering about, well, who has access to the data? How might that be used if we're monitoring people in the workplace? That might be fantastic at one level, but it might allow something that we actually don't want. So just unpack a couple of the sort of the, the ethical, moral dilemmas that emerge at this this edge of technology where you're combining you know what we think of as machine with natural brain but actually as you were saying luca um over time the boundaries between the two blur a little bit don't they yeah no absolutely i mean um especially if we try and think sort of longer term and and see where the, this could be going in the future uh there are 
studies and, and, and startup companies that are heavily investing, for example, in, on uh, memory prosthetics. So part, basically, uh, the ability of storing some memories in, 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 a, in a device uh, and then recovering it um, or the control of additional limbs and so on. So in a sense, there is a bit of the idea of creating a superhuman. Um, now, we're not there yet, so um, I'm not worried about the next few years. However, with, with ethics, it's always wise, I think, to try and, and see where the things could be going and, and try and uh, reason about it uh, while we are still uh, far away. Um, and I mean, to me, one, one of the concerns is that, um, in a sense, we, we already live in a world that is unequal, in a sense, there's inequality in the world in terms of um, people among, among the different countries as well as within a country. Uh, so I'm just wondering whether this sort of technology, which most likely could be affordable by a minority of the population, uh, would um, amplify those differences in a sense and create a difference between those humans who have the um, who can afford to to improve themselves above the level of human capabilities and those who cannot so i think we we sort of need to um although it's as i said it's still far away that that a sort of scenario uh, however i think it's important to start thinking about it and uh, and um and reason about it uh because i mean sometimes what happens with technology is that uh, the technology comes first, and then there is the reasoning about what 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 is going wrong, and then even far after that, there is um, uh, governments um, writing laws to to govern something, uh, sort of kind of um, trying to close the stable after the you know the the, the animals have gone in a sense, right? So. Um, in, if we can, we should try and do the opposite. Start reason about this, um, and maybe start thinking. And, and it's, the thing becomes more looking more possible, uh, being ready to um, even to to start um, writing laws uh, about it before it's too late. Very interesting. And, uh, and the 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 point that you're making here is, in a sense, kind of humans have always used tools and technologies um but but we're in an era that you're both working on where we're able to go inside us um and to to make these kind of interfaces and connections that have never been done before so it's going to raise new questions this this kind of dystopian yeah. idea of different classes classes that are augmented and classes that aren't this feels very science fictiony and yet yet it's not it's it's kind of potentially with us already um, yeah, and things tend to happen faster and faster. That's why uh, there's a potential, you know, amplifying effect that could get out of control. Indeed. Katerina, your, your thoughts on, on exactly the same territory? Yes, definitely. So I, I definitely agree with uh, Luke about, you know, uh, uh, that potentially society could be divided based on, on the availability that people can have of these uh, technologies. 
Uh, but also we can think about things like the cost of society. Uh, even the research is, is very much expensive. So uh, is it worth doing this type of research uh, all the time? Or uh, you know, uh, should we have to limit uh, you know, based on, on the real advantages that we have? Um, there are also other things like, for example, well, think about uh, the uh, robotic arms Luca was uh, talking about earlier. So... Uh, uh, the concept of uh, um, uh, uh, agency. So, if I'm using uh, my arms, uh, if I'm controlling objects with my arm, and there is an accident, uh, so whose fault is it? Is it my fault because I'm the one directly controlling? It? Is the the algorithm is uh, uh, is the responsibility of the person who has designed? Uh, the whole system uh, and so on. So uh, we also have to think, uh, think about this uh, type of uh, um, uh, aspects and the same for uh, like my, our, the, the uh, group decision making I was mentioning. So the augmentation of cognition. So if uh, there is a, the, the um, air traffic controllers make a mistake, uh, was it a fault of the system who wasn't able to detect their, you know, that they were falling asleep or um, and so, yes, there are, there are many things that, uh, um, and then is a concept, even like a broader concept, like uh, the idea of free will um, when uh, um, uh, we, we are you know, using uh, um, people's brain signals, uh, privacy. Uh, how how much can a system look into my mind? Uh, of course, it's not it's nothing about like uh, mind reading, but there are things that can be monitored. So uh, how how uh, you know, the idea of um, a person as a private uh, individual uh, versus you know my brain being completely available to uh, a system um, yeah. and the use of the data, of course, that you mentioned earlier. So it is so very much we need to be thinking about um, who's got access to the data, who's helping these things happen, um, yeah. but also perhaps developing different kind of ideas and paradigms about about kind of, you know, as you said, whose fault is it? I think there was a, a legal case some years ago, maybe about 15 years ago, where somebody in the US claimed that it wasn't their fault that they'd killed somebody, but mm. it was their genes that made them do it. Um, which is sort of kind of makes one sort of smile at the at the idea of it. I mean, introduced in court in that kind of way, and nobody would have that sort of direct, direct kind of linearity cause and effect in that sort of way. And yet, those possibilities are there, and maybe they do come up in this this territory in a similar kind of way when something might go wrong. So, thinking in advance and setting it in a social context which would say this is what we can do this is this is what we can't do this is what we understand um, maybe that's the kind of the way to start to address that but we certainly need to think about it early oh yes definitely yes yeah well there is a whole area now called neuroethics uh, which is exactly about this so uh uh, well, it's been going on for quite a while now, but uh, yes, so we, you know, there are definitely many researchers uh, who are looking into this and uh, lawyers as well. So um, definitely, you know, this is something that is being looked at. So you're both researching these areas. And as you've just hinted there, um, uh, Katerina, the, there, there are going to be new types of, of kind of roles and jobs, neural engineers, neuroethicists. 
um, other, uh, you know, is that is are we going to see neuro uh, neuromarketing? <laughs> well, there you indeed. That's right. How to get inside our brains by causing us to buy stuff that we didn't actually want. Well, I suppose that's that's what marketing's all about, anyway, isn't it? Uh, but it, but it does seem to me we we you're both showing there's a blurring of the boundary between the thing that we call the body, which looks like it has a fairly you know solid boundary the brain which looks like it has a fairly solid boundary and you're saying um well of course it doesn't um and we're finding out more about that interface with with the rest of the world and here you're putting some new technology in place to help new things happen is that yeah. is that really what that's kind of simplifies it a bit um oversimplifies it i'm sure but that's the territory isn't it Yes, absolutely. Uh, and also uh, seeing uh, um, uh, how we identify ourselves as individuals. So uh, who am I? So am I like my physical, is it the physical individual? Is it what my mind can do uh, in, uh, when it's augmented? Um, yeah, so you know, there are also like a lot of uh, philosophical uh, um, questions, if you like, that we uh, we want to, do, we will have to address. So when you're teaching these sorts of things to students, undergraduates and postgraduate students, uh, uh, are you addressing these kind of broader concerns as well as the specific development, as you were saying, Luca, of the algorithms, the mathematical underpinnings of these sorts of things, the accurate measurement of the of of the signals. All of this is not none of that's trivial or simple, but you have to do all of that. But then there's this bigger picture as well that, that people need to be thinking about. Is um are we on that um already? I'm sure we are. When so, it comes uh, when it comes I, to education, for example. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um I mean in my case, I teach modular machine learning that is open to uh, a number of degrees. So I, I teach the core of machine learning. But in our um, um, bachelor's in uh, neural engineering, um, I'm pretty sure my colleagues will be touching upon these issues because they are becoming more and more uh, relevant. And also that degree is um, co uh, thought by us and uh, psychology. So in a sense, it's already multidisciplinary and I'm pretty sure everything is looked at from many different points of view. Maybe Katerina can, can... Yes, no, absolutely. And uh, um, I, I teach in one of the modules. Uh, well, it's more, uh, um, it's uh, focused on uh, research methods in, in, in brain computer interfaces, but we look at some of the ethical issues uh, related to, for example, the use of the data, how, uh, you know, the data are used and, uh, the, you know, um, respecting the, the person uh, individuality and... Uh, um, yes, but um, definitely this is something that has to, you know, to become, people have to become more, students in particular have to become more and more aware of these um, ethical aspects, uh, for sure. So think of, take us then into the future a little bit. Um, uh, kind of what, what sort of excites um, and um, interests you in, in the sort of in the coming five years maybe ten years in in this kind of broad area what what do you think will be happening and what do we need um i think kind of policy change as you were saying luca is quite a long way from this i mean thinking about it is important but but as you say we've got to develop fully develop the working technologies and the, the approaches first um uh, but in thinking about uh, un 
unpack some applications that that people might not have thought about or or kind of improvements to people's lives that that might lie kind of hidden a little bit in the promise that these technologies have where where, where would you point towards a couple of things Big question, eyes open. Big question. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's sort of. Um, I'm not not asking to predict how things will be, but you, you're in looking at the technologies and thinking about kind of people's arms, as you were saying, uh, prosthetic arms. Then, then where does that kind of take us? Is it is it really is it really proof of that concept? And then saying, well, actually, if we can make that work for one person what would be really interesting is to make that work for a thousand um or yes. you know is, is that the kind of is it the scaling effect that then becomes remarkably interesting yeah i think so i mean as as we've seen um in recent years for example where um some devices like mobile phones have had a, a massive uh, improvement uh, over time the the level of res resolution and uh, of the screens uh the fact now you can fold them all that comes through, you know, the the fact that it's a wide market and the level of investment is, is massive. Now, my hope is that um, some of those technologies uh, will also, so some of the advancements that are made in areas where there is a large market uh, will also percolate, in a sense, into um, areas like um, you know, prosthetics and so on, where the numbers are, are much, much smaller. Uh, so we're talking maybe in the UK, let's say around 10,000, um, tens of thousands of, of amputees per year. Uh, so those are tiny numbers compared to the uh, to the large numbers um, in other areas of research, so, of technology. So ideally, um, hopefully some of that advancement will uh, happen uh, there as well. Um, and then once that happens, I think uh, it would be, um, my, my hope is that the, the price of, of some prosthesis that nowadays cost um, hundreds of, of thousands of pounds will become smaller and smaller and maybe they be, will become affordable, not just for um, our country uh, or Europe or, 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 the, uh, or the US, but also countries uh, with ongoing wars uh, where the problem of amputations is, is much uh, harder than it is in our, on our side, in a sense, and therefore they would become affordable for them. And and that's when the, I mean, when the technology um, becomes a way to unite rather than a way to divide people, that, that's what I like. Great, very good. Uh, Katerina, your thoughts about looking forward a little bit? Uh, well, yeah, looking forward a little bit is quite easy, quite easy to see like um, um, uh, um, big scenarios, science, fic uh, science fiction scenarios. Like, but uh, we also have to keep in mind that uh, the progress in these areas is, uh, I'm sure, Luca agrees with me, is very slow. And uh, like uh, when I'm talking about you know, uh, uh, decision making, uh, and we uh, do a lot of work trying to uh, apply these uh, concepts into quite realistic uh, uh, scenarios. There are loads of problems for like, for example, uh, imagine people in their uh, uh, daily work wearing these cups, uh, which takes time to uh, 
to um, set up, and then uh, uh, you know um, they are um, the, the EEG, for example, electroencephalogram are very uh, sensitive to noise uh, and all sort of movements. So people have to stay very at the moment. I'm saying what, what how it works now. So practically, they are very difficult to use, and it's very difficult to see how in a few years it can be used in everyday life. So there are many like um, uh, practical aspects aspects that need to be um they need to be like um, we need to work on uh so creating more um practical um um, um equipment uh and you know um for example for me measuring uh, neural signals uh external devices non-invasive devices like eeg uh, are good but there are, there are better devices like implant devices that require surgery and it you know you don't use them with people just for like making experiments uh, and so there are many 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 practical uh, problems that uh, we need to uh, solve before like thinking of a world where everyone is using uh, eg or uh, um, uh, sophisticated um, robotic arms um, so you know much progress needs to be done all right, that's great. Good. Thank you very much. So, so we've been hearing from uh, Katerina Chinell and Luca Chitti of the School of Computer Science and Electronic Engineering around human-machine interaction interfaces and potential co-adaption in the future, which is kind of interesting. Um, that that slow, slow steps, but big, big promise um, in this area for large numbers of people, as you were saying, Luca. So um, thank you very much indeed for coming on to the pod today. Uh, you've been listening to Louder Than Words, the podcast about how ideas improve lives. Many thanks. Thank you. Thank you. That was Louder Than Words. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast. Have a look at the website for more information and do rate the pod if you can. <laughs>